You pick up your Bible and wonder, is there more here than meets the eye? Is there something here for me? I mean, it's just words printed on paper, right? Well, it may look like just print on a page, but it's more than ink. Join us for the next half hour as we explore God's Word together, as we learn how to explore it on our own, as we ask God to meet us there in its pages. Welcome to More Than Ink. Okay, I've got good news and bad news for you. About what? About the city you live in. The bad news is, it's not going to endure and it's not going to last. Oh, so what's the good news? The good news is, there's a city to come whose designer and founder is God himself, and that will last. We'll look at that today on, on More Than, Than Ink. Well, good morning on this wonderful fall day. I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we are delighted you've come back with us. It's just unbelievable to me. <laughs> but, uh, we, oh, well, we're always here. We're always here, yeah. <laughs> and we literally are sitting at our dining room table. And I literally do have my coffee. Yep, there it is in front of me. It's getting a little cool, though, so I'll drink it as we move it's along. because you talk but too much. I, I think that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I talk too much. This is an exciting part of Hebrews for me, I think for a lot of people, because we're coming to the end. And he does a fascinating thing here as he sort of closes the door on these 13 chapters of discussion uh, that, that bring together the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how they merge together. He even he even will, and we'll look at this next week, he calls it the Eternal, the eternal covenant, covenant. Kind of melding the two of them together. So... He, he does a little of that here. It's a fascinating thing. So I hope you, you got a few minutes to sit with us and uh, and just to kind of chew on these next verses. We're in Hebrews 13, and we're going to be starting in verse 8. And, well, uh, and verse 8 picks up right after up we verse were. 7, right? there's yeah. uh, This is a continuation. This is not a new topic. This is He's going to continue to urge us toward a particular way of life. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because of who we are, because we've come into this new covenant relationship with Jesus, our mediator. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh, so we'll unpack that a little bit as we go on. But go back, if you didn't, go back and reread those first seven verses of this chapter. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then just read right on, because he so seamlessly stitches together his urgent encouragement to us to live this way, together with this sound deep theology about why we live this way mm-hmm. yeah and he even closes this by coming bringing us back to the 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 scene at the temple oh yes it's very interesting so i mean it's like uh the, the, yeah it's and let's just read it let's what do just you read say? it okay his <laughs> flagship statement right from the top in verse eight okay starting in verse eight jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forever do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat for the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp uh, you know maybe we should stop there yeah i mean yeah i was going to stop before 11 right, but that's sorry. okay <laughs> that's okay, okay let's go back to jesus christ is the same <laughs> yesterday today and forever so don't be led away well yeah and and i think the temptation from a jewish believer is to say well oh, this guy's talking about old covenant and new covenant and so there's like a line between them and jesus is central to both of them but i mean what you know it seems like two eras 
And he's saying right here, actually, we're not talking two eras. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right. So, uh, so the Jesus that we know about was also operable, believe it or not, in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. And everything pointed to him forward in history, even for us now, 2,000 years hence from the first century, it points backward to him. So Jesus is the same. Jesus hasn't changed. Jesus didn't change. And so hence you go from Old to New Covenant. That's not what changes Jesus. And so. Well, and, you know, if you remember back, and we'll get to this when we do Exodus in a few weeks, uh, when God introduced himself to Moses, Mm -hmm, Moses mm -hmm. said, Well, who are you? What's your name? And he said, Well, I am. Right. I am. I am, which is the same thing. The same thing that Jesus said, which caused the the crowds to pick up stones to stone him. He said, "Before Abraham was, I am." John eight. He claims for himself that same name of God, and so you know the writer of Hebrews here is saying Jesus Christ is the same. He is I am. Yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus can say, "Before Abraham was, I am." Right. Then he hasn't changed. Even in the minor prophet Malachi, it, he says he says that the Lord doesn't change. Right. The Lord doesn't change. So, right. it, so even though we're we're kind of bringing to an end this new and old covenant thing, there actually is a seamless connection between them because God doesn't change, Jesus doesn't right. change. And so don't don't fall sway to that if someone comes to you and says, well, you know, you're in a new dispensation or something right. like that. And I, I was flashing back as well to the fact that. Uh, you know, in Revelation, um, Jesus says, I'm the first and the last. Right. The Repeatedly, Omega. actually, he yeah, says it. Over and over again. Uh-huh. And, and he is actually using the same words that Isaiah uses when he quotes God in, right. in the chapter 41 and 40, 44, I 44, think it is. 44, actually. I have it open right in front of me here. Yeah. 44, 6 says, uh, I am the first and I am the last, and there is no God besides me. Right. Well, that right. actually refrain occurs several times in several. the Isaiah 40s. Yeah, yeah. To, to demonstrate the superiority of the real God to all right. the false gods. Right. Yeah. So that's how he starts this out. So don't be confused. I mean, he's anticipating the fact that people will confuse you and say, well, you're believing a new gospel, a new Jesus. Right. And he's saying, nope, same Jesus. So now he, he'll look at, at three things here in a second where he'll actually tie together your understanding of the old covenant, the old practices, and the new with Jesus. It's an interesting kind of weaving. So we already read that for in verse 9. Uh, you know, he says, so don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Um, it's good to be strengthened by grace and not by foods. Now, I mean, this is what we need to do. What do you mean by not by foods, which have, been, which have not benefited those devoted to them? We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. Now, he's using, he's going back to going the back sacrifices. To the law. Uh-huh. And remember, when people brought sacrifices for their sins, they brought it to the priests. The priests, you know, there would be a bloodletting right there, and then they many times burn them and stuff like that. But the priests, that was their dinner. Mm-hmm. That was their dinner. They, The priests, the privileged class in that sense who served at the temple, they benefited from what was brought to sacrifice. Yeah, they had an the assigned altar. portion that yeah. came to them. And that's, from, how they, that's how they stayed alive. They, from certain sacrifices. They didn't raise yeah. flocks to feed themselves. They didn't have crops in the field. So that's, that's how they did that. So they benefited from the sacrifices on the altar. And in an interesting way, we benefit from the sacrifice on the altar of Jesus, what he did for us. Ah. Hmm. You know, the, the writer of Hebrews had already said back in chapter 9 that the washings and the ceremony only relate to the body. 
that mm-hmm. anything you do, that anything you eat or put on your body doesn't affect your inner person. Right. It's just an indicator of something. And so I think that maybe he's hearkening back to that here too. Can yeah. we go back to the don't be led away by yeah. diverse and strange teachings? Because yeah. aren't we very often, uh, we're intrigued by something new and colorful and varied and someone has come along and embroidered on the truth that we've new always thing, known. And we're yeah. we're... Look, it's shiny, it's fresh, it's new. Let's believe that. Let's add yeah. that to the gospel. And so he says, you know, and the, the writer has urged people all along through this letter. Now, don't drift, don't neglect. And here he says, don't be led away. Don't be led away. Don't line up after some new, fresh, colorful, shiny thing. Because it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Yeah. Right? It's all about what God has done for us. Yeah, exactly. Strengthened by grace, by the way, too, in contrast to eating ceremonial foods. Yeah, or submitting yourself to a eat this, a, wear this. A religious diet right, thing. Right. Yeah, exactly. So it's it his way of departing from the that old ceremonial law. Because that's not going to change law. you internally. Right. But strengthened by grace. And that sounds, again, just like a, like a religious term, but you got to look at the words literally and realize that you, your life can be strengthened, like how your life is strengthened with food. Your life can actually be built up and energized, strengthened, given life by dwelling on the issue of what God has given you that you don't deserve grace yeah because we have an altar to eat from right which those who serve the tent have no right to eat right those who are engaged in the ceremonial practice right uh, and and have separated out the heart of their practice uh, have no right to this what is this altar that we are invited Mm -hmm. to eat from Mm -hmm. well you know the writer of hebrews had said this is the this is the altar where the blood of jesus was sacrificed right right right? and jesus had said there at the last supper now uh, as you eat this this is my body broken Mm -hmm. for Mm -hmm. you eat this in remembrance of me right the altar at which we eat it's Jesus himself. It's Jesus himself. He, and he's this, well, he's the sacrificed lamb. He's the lamb of God. The lambs were all sacrificed on Passover on the altar there. And uh, and then and, they took the meat home to and then eat. they took the meat home to eat. Right. So that's the benefit from that altar. But he says there's an altar where the lamb of God, Jesus, was sacrificed. And we benefit. Right. We benefit. And he even, he even came right out in John 6 and said, if you don't, you know, eat my flesh and drink my blood. You have no part of what I'm doing. Right. And people freaked out. <laughs> but that's what he's getting at, is that here's this supreme sacrifice of the real Lamb of God. Right. And look at the benefit that we get from that. That's far superior than any great, you know, roasted meal that the priests at the temple used to get right. back at that altar. Well, and if you think back through the book of Hebrews, he had elaborated in chapters 5, 6, 7, all in there about how Jesus uh, entered the real holy place, yeah, right, and his blood was poured out on the real altar yeah. in the in the spiritual reality, the concrete reality that's greater than anything that the earthly temple mm-hmm. right could indicate, which was just a model, of. right? It was, it was just a, a picture, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he's saying, don't be don't be um, seduced back to that stuff, right? Because. <laughs> Because now we have the reality and the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf, and we benefit. Yeah, it's it's a he. It, if you just stand back and look at this phrase here in nine and ten, he's really kind of merging together the reality of the old covenant and the reality of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's really it's it's really nice. I think it's just it's a great thing he just did. 
And then when you get into verse 11, he, he, he does a similar kind of thing. Why don't you start from 11, read all okay. the way like to 14. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Right. So just to go back to the history, Mm. hearkening back to those sacrifices that took place, uh, there was principally uh, a particular sacrifice done on the Day of Atonement. We have the, the two goats, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the, the sin is put on one and then let out outside the right. city to go away, to carry the sins right. away the outside the city. The yeah. scapegoat, yeah. And that's what he's alluding to here. And now he's saying that Jesus is not only the, the sacrifice lamb we just looked at, but he is that, he is that scapegoat as well. Well, there also is instruction in Exodus and Leviticus about how the the waste parts of the animal that weren't included in the sacrifice are then taken to another place and burned Mm -hmm, outside mm -hmm. the camp. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's a there's a lot of uh, Old Testament pictures here that he's assuming a lot of his readers that they understand because they're still seeing this happening. The temple is still standing when this letter has been written. And so he's there. This is their very current experience. Yeah. And they're linking in a lot of these multiple connections into the Old Testament sacrifices and stuff in this. But, you know, his point is that Jesus, Jesus suffered outside the gate, kind of outside, literally outside the gate, literally outside the gate. So um, if you are suffering because you're following Jesus, which is presumably what's going on, that's why Hebrews 11 is there, then you need to go outside the gate as well, which is a way of saying you need to go outside of this place. Right. You need to set your sights outside of this place in order to find life. Go outside the camp. Bear the reproach there. Because identify with him and identify with him. And it's a way with it's a way of saying that Jesus himself said this this place is not my eternal destiny. It's someplace else. And it is yours too. So in your suffering, go outside of this place and we're going someplace else. Right. Yeah, he said that to Pilate, and my kingdom is not of this world. Not of this world. Yeah, not of this world. And then he and then he clinches that thought in fourteen when he says, Here, here we have no (laughs) lasting city. But we seek the city that's to come. So in your present age right now, this is that city which is not lasting. Right. Wherever you are right now, this is not a lasting city. So in your reproach and in, in the persecution you're under, you know, why don't you start leaving the city now? Because this place is not lasting. That's what he's getting at. Well, and he had said back in chapter 11, you know, that, that Moses and all of those models of faith were seeking the city whose architect and builder is God. Right. Right. Any city or governmental structure here on earth is, yes, ordained by God, but it's built by men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes we get confused about that. And yes, righteous men should be rightly influencing their the places sure. in which yeah. they live through government, through social action, through all of that. We're not devaluing that. We're saying that is not our eternal dwelling place. Right, right. And we know enough of what a city is. 
uh, to appreciate its value in terms of what it brings to life. I mean, that, and especially back then. Well, this place just, brings people together. Yeah, I mean, it's a place of protection. There's walls around it, so marauders outside can't come in, you know. And there's a, it's protection, it's provision, there's water. And there's, there's law. There's an there's expectation law, there's of order. a certain way of living if you're inside the wall. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then when you're outside the wall, you're in... <laughs> You're in a wild and woolly Western land. Right. I mean, it's just like like the Wild West for us. Was, right. There was no justice. There was, it was just everyone did what they wanted to do. So that's interesting when he urges believers to go outside the wall, outside the camp, to right. Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of a faith in a different place. Right. Right. right, right. And identify with him, with that city whose builder and architect is God. Right, right. So you might as well start disconnecting from this place now, is what he's saying, <laughs> because you're, you're a citizen of that other city. So a city is just a marvelous, it's a marvelous metaphor for this joint com- uh, community of the followers of God that want to be together. Well, so it's no mistake then that in Revelation, we have this incredible picture of yeah, the, city, the city, the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven, right. built by God, clearly designed by God. Clearly designed yeah. by Oh, him. listeners, go and read that. Yeah, in, in, in my uh, father's house, there's many any places to live. It, but go and read in <laughs> Revelation 19, 20, 21, yeah. the description of the city. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a, just a great picture of community as designed by God. With God as its center. With God as its center. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's why it's, it's such a great metaphor. So, so the sooner you realize that where you live today, it may be a city, but it's not a lasting city. Right. Then put your hope and trust in his promises for your inclusion into his city to come. I mean, your, your name is written, is enrolled in heaven. So that's where you're going. You know, you only have to do a little bit of world history study to realize that Human cities simply don't last. No. <laughs> Human civilizations come and go right. from the from the highest view, right? The the meta view. Right, right, right. <laughs> you realize how sporadic and how unlasting human civilizations are. They're well intentioned too. Oh, certainly. Usually. But in the end, you know, you've got fallen people who are running these cities right. and. Uh, you know, it always happens. You put together, you put together laws and stuff, which bring justice and good for a lot of people. And then you realize, hey, I've got some real power here in doing this stuff. And then you start uh, lining your pockets, and it gets corrupt. And then things just well, go, and go down. How often do the borders change on whole countries? Yeah. Right. I mean, just in my lifetime, I have owned a series of globes where the country lines <laughs> have all been repainted <laughs> in large portions of the world. Right. I can't these keep things, track. Is Congo in or these out these things days? Don't they don't last. Yeah, they don't last. But there is a city coming. That's a lasting city. So so when you see Jesus going outside the camp to suffer and to die, it's also a way of him saying he's gone outside of this place because there's another city coming. And so we ought to also follow him out. That's the whole process. That's we start. It's, it's a, this is a great merging again of the imagery of the old covenant teaching us something powerful about the new covenant. It's it, the reality of it. Well, so through him then, verse 15, 15, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So, you know, the, the first characteristic, once we recognize that we are on our way to another place, 
ought to be praising God, yeah. recognizing his name, his identity. He's the ruler. He's the king. He's the one who has rescued us and given us this citizenship in another place. And that is the sacrifice that God requires yeah, no, of his it's people. A great phrase, a sacrifice, sacrifice of, of praise. praise. A sacrifice of praise. Yeah. And and you know, it turns out it turns out that the sacrifices even back in the Old Testament, you know, you brought an animal to mm-hmm. atone right. for the sin that right. you had done. It was even yeah, that was even still a sacrifice of praise. Because what you were what you were making known is the fact not that you were paying for your sin, right, but you're acknowledging the fact that God was quick to quick to forgive forgive yeah and so it really was a praise to god for who he was i'm still included in god's plan in god's city but a sacrifice costs you something right exactly right and so you know let us then offer up a sacrifice of praise to Mm -hmm. god well that one times are hard yeah when god may not immediately appear to be praiseworthy when Mm -hmm. i think he's blameworthy because my circumstances are crummy (laughs) or i'm suffering but the writer of hebrews says no because of who he is and what he's done and where we are going in Mm -hmm. him it may be costly but let us be characterized by this sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that recognize his name yeah, yeah. Recognize his name. Acknowledge who he is. And when right. you say acknowledge or recognize his name, always name means reputation mm-hmm. and he's, character. He's king. So yeah, you need to acknowledge who he is and what he's known for. That's what a name means. What he's known for, his reputation, his accomplishments, which is which is why God used to always say to the Israelites, Hey, I'm the guy who brought you out of Egypt. <laughs> That's right. my reputation. Right. And I'm and I'm still on your side. So that's his reputation. So in 16, so don't neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Again, sacrifices, but this <laughs> time share in action. What you have. He what doesn't say have. share out of your abundance. Share out of whatever you've got. Whatever you've got. So if you say, well, I don't have enough really to share with someone. Well, if you've got something, you've got right. enough. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the whole point of the feeding of the 5,000, yeah. right? It yeah. sure looks like we don't have enough. But we have Jesus, and he's breaking the bread. And whatever we have, we share. Peter said, you know, I don't have silver and gold, but what I have, I give you. Get up and walk in the name of Jesus. (laughs) So so here, even in 15 to 16, it's it's a great connection again. There was worship that went on in the temple. There was sacrifice that went on in the temple. But it was pointing to the fact that the real sacrifice we do now is praising God with our lips, you know, proclaiming who he is, his reputation, his name, and even following through in doing good, which is mm-hmm. God's the only one who's good, right. doing good in our in, in the actions of our hands as well. And that's another sacrifice. So these are these are the true sacrifices in the true temple that the old temple were just a picture of. And he's actually going to repeat those things toward yeah. the end of chapter 13, and yeah. we'll get to that next week. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, this whole idea of uh, verbally, vocally acknowledging God is worthy, yeah. God is praiseworthy, because he's doing something greater than here and now. Yeah. That's that's the sacrifice of praise. So here and now, with what little I've got, I can I can give. Yeah. I can share. Well, let's finish off this section. I'll read for us okay. in 17. So he comes back to the leader issue. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give to who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning <laughs> for that would be of no advantage to you. And I'll just read this last section, 18 and 19. So pray for us that we are sure that 
that we have a clear conscience desiring to act honorably in all things, I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. So in a way, in 18 and 19, he's he's giving them instructions about how they can help the leader who just wrote this <laughs> that yeah. he says in 17. You know, you need to obey your leaders and submit to them. Because they're keeping watch over your souls. For your benefit. Those, yeah, and yeah. so, you know, that's a huge statement about spiritual leaders yeah. right there. Uh, do you, are they keeping watch, guarding? And as he said before, those who brought the word of God to you, watch their way of life. Yeah. Consider the outcome consider of the their outcome. conduct. Yeah. Obey them and submit to them for they're keeping watch over your souls yeah. as those who will have to give an account yeah. Right, because your pastors, your spiritual leaders, are not those who own you. You right. are the sheep who belong to another right. shepherd, and they are under shepherds. They will have to give account. Yeah, that's a very important distinction. They are under shepherds, and shepherds never owned the sheep that they watched. Right. They well, seldom did they. I mean, they were they were they were keeping watch over someone else's flock. Right. And that's what your pastor, your local pastor, which, by the way, the word pastor in Greek comes from the word about being a shepherd. Right, a shepherd. Yeah, taking care of sheep. So, Which, you know, in the, in the benediction that the writer is going to give us in yeah. the very last section, which we're not going to address today, but in his benediction, he says, now to the great shepherd, the great shepherd. of the sheep. Yeah, yeah. So you are a precious and beloved sheep in a flock that belongs to God, and your pastors are there to kind of keep watch over you. And and uh, shepherds always kept watch over their sh- these sheep based on looking for like wolves and attacks and 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 not only dangers but also bringing them to food and to water. I mean they're they're there for your benefit. So he's saying right here so obey them and submit to them because you know they're engaged 100% on your good. And let good. them do this with joy and yeah. not with groaning. And not with groaning. <laughs> it's of no advantage to you, right? <laughs> Don't make their life harder than it has to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> now, we laugh about this because we say it from a pastoral perspective. Yeah. It can, we, you know, sheep can be hard. <laughs> yeah, when my brother was raising sheep, he's thinking, oh, I'll never do that again. I mean, yeah, but but it's a it's a wonderful it's a wonderful job that God gives. But we're all in this process as sheep of being protected and fed and cared for until the great shepherd comes back. But look at the humility of this last verse. Pray for us. We're sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. Right. So the writer here says, pray for us. We do have a clear conscience. We're sure of ourselves, but but we need your prayers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, we're out of time again. And next week, we're going to look at this wonderful oh, benediction, this benediction closing. It's one of my favorite couple of verses in the entire Bible. And, uh, and he's going to close the entire book. And we're going to spend some time reminiscing about what we've gone through in the rest of Hebrews. So I'm Jim. And I'm Dorothy. And we're glad you're with us. Come back for the crowning benediction next week on More, More Than, Than Ink. More Than Ink is a production of Main Street Church of Brigham City and is solely responsible for its content. To contact us with your questions or comments, just go to our website, morethaninc.org. Boy. Leave it alone.